Right, thank you, Katie, for that. So excited to be here. Um, I've never done anything on this scale before, so very excited to have this experience with all of you. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah, so like Katie said, I have written uh, two books on addiction recovery poetry. Uh, this is called Pick Your Poison, and Pick Your Poison Volume 2 is out. It's going to be out in April, uh, which is my second uh, sober anniversary. So it's going to come out on that. Um, I've got copies of this for sale over at the merch table. They're $15. I take cash, credit, debit, what have you, uh, if you're interested in that. And I wrote Pick Your Poison. Uh, it started out as poetry for myself. It was a way for me to cope with all of the really raw emotions and the trials that come with addiction recovery. And I thought perhaps other people could benefit from, you know, reading this poetry too and having a tangible way to look at their emotions on the page. Uh, so Pick Your Poison was born. And yeah, it's kind of grown into this podcast series I do now called Detox Podcast, where every episode I go in and I uh, venture into one poem from the book, and I talk about what was going on with me when I wrote it, what emotions were there, what was happening, what was on my mind, what it's really about. And yeah, that comes out once a week, and that's kind of what we're going to do here today. Uh, I've got, I think, 25 minutes up here, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you a poem, and I'm going to discuss it, and then I'll close with the poem. Yeah, and... To be perfectly honest, when Katie launched this event and started promoting it, I love her previous events that I've attended, uh, but self-love, I don't know, I felt like I've never had a problem with it. Uh, so I was like, oh, maybe I'll just skip this one. Doesn't really seem like it's for me. Um, I know that it's a really important topic and I know that it's a huge, uh, it's responsible for so much, um, so much disparity between you know, what we want for ourselves and what we what we think is true about ourselves. Um, but when Katie asked me to be a part of this, I couldn't say no. Like, this is kind of my dream, standing in front of you, talking about what I do, sharing my work with you, and being amongst people who have things in common with me, you know, sober, sober curious, uh, sober seeking, or, you know, friends, family of those who are trying to support those in the aforementioned categories, or just people who like to hang out and like to have fun, but don't want the alcohol to be present or don't need the alcohol to be present. Uh, yeah, so I had to dive deep a little bit, and I wrote this poem. It's called Houses. <laughs> the rooms in my mind, endless. Hallways that lead to more darkness, more questions, me, wandering endlessly in search of anything that will make you stay. I show you pristine bathrooms and cozy bedrooms, sunken dens to call home. You tell me that you hate my favorite room, but I keep towing you along. I show you every closet, every attic, every, every, everything, in desperate hope that you see that like houses, I could not depreciate, and all of me will be worthy in time. Thanks. <laughs> so that poem comes from these dreams I've been having. And I've been dreaming about huge, 
vast, endless, mansion-esque houses with so many rooms. And this one in particular was super devastating to me, like nightmare level gutted feeling when I woke up. I was in this house, it was huge. My parents had allegedly purchased it and uh, my boyfriend was there, my boyfriend of six and a half years and he was breaking up with me. And I knew that I had to move into this house with my parents because I could no longer live with my boyfriend. And I knew there was nothing I could do to make him stay. There's nothing I could say to make him stay. So I was just taking him around to all of these places in this house, showing him, I guess, who I would be after him and maybe hoping that he would see some beauty here and want to stay with me. So I woke up, felt awful, uh, couldn't get it out of my mind. And I'm really into dream interpretation. So I know that in dreams, you know, it's not a manifestation of my boyfriend actually wanting to break up with me in real life, or even the fear of that. Uh, everything in a dream is me. The house is me, I am me, and my boyfriend is me. Houses represent the mind and the self. So as I was taking this aspect of myself, who was my boyfriend, around this house, which is our mind, stay with me, okay? <laughs> the bedrooms, we had no problems there. Like we, not sexually, sorry. Um, <laughs> but yes, we're good there, that's fine. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> so the bedrooms, we had, we, we felt comfortable because bedrooms in dreams represent privacy and intimacy and just these little areas of your mind that are private. And you know, me, myself, and I, the house, we all felt good there. And so we moved on to bathrooms, which represent cleansing and renewal, and we were good there too. The hallways were fine, which represent transition, and we were, we were, it was all good. But it wasn't until we got to the den that I said, oh, I love this room, it's my favorite room, the sunken den that I mentioned in the poem, that my boyfriend slash me said, I don't like it. There's no hesitation. It was just, nope, don't like it. I was like, what, this is my favorite room. And I was like, what does that mean? Uh, I thought I had no issues with myself. I love myself all the time. I love my body. I love what I do. I love who I am. I just feel really comfortable in my skin. And so I was like, why? Why do I hate this part of me? That's weird. I have to kind of figure that out. So I started thinking about houses, houses in real life, and my history with houses and, and what houses really mean. So the first house that comes to my mind, of course, is the house I grew up in. And I was adopted into a very loving family, um, just from birth, like three days old, adopted into this family. Uh, my sister was adopted three years after, not blood-related. Uh, my parents, super loving parents. We never went without, it was great. Our childhood was awesome. Uh, but it wasn't until I was nine, turning 10, when we moved from our bungalow into our two-story house, you know, bigger house, bigger problems. And my dad had his first depressive episode. And it was the first time that I became aware that my dad was bipolar. Maybe there were signs before, maybe I was too young to understand or notice, uh, but was, this was the first time that he went into a really deep depression. And since then, The moods were cyclical, of course, as bipolar goes, um, but they were slow progressions. You know, we'd have like six months of depression, six months normalcy, six months 
mania, six months normalcy, and we could adapt, we could flow with that, we could, it was predictable enough that it was okay. But as we moved on and we got older, uh, the cycles begin to quicken. And soon it was three month cycles, one month cycle, a couple weeks, one week, a day. And every day was different. And young Denise had a really good connection with her manic dad. He was fun and funny and quick. And he was interested and chatty and driven. But then suddenly as the next day, he was a shell. He was not there. And just as quickly as all of this happened, my mom lost her life partner in many ways. Uh, he wasn't present. He was either on a train that was moving so fast, so intended on its destination that there was no stopping it and no turning it around. Or he was on a train that was so rusted to the tracks that there was no reaching him that way either. So, me being the eldest child, so any other eldest children here in the, in the crowd? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Stepped into a leadership role a bit. Uh, took on a role that I was not equipped for. And I, I became my mom's husband and I became my sister's father. And my sister started to turn inside of herself. She turned to video games and she was irritable and angry and withdrawn. And my mom came to me for emotional advice. She came to me for everything. And in a way that empowered me and made me feel needed and wanted and like I was doing a good job. I was a good daughter, I was helping my family. Um, but being so young, I didn't understand the concept of boundaries. And I started emptying all of myself and giving it to other people. And I haven't stopped doing that. Back then, my, while my sister turned to video games, I turned to alcohol. And even though my family was only two rooms away from me, I could drink, and when I was drunk, I was free. And I could escape and be burdenless and then take on every, every emotion my family was having and do it all again the next day. Everybody else's happiness was more important than mine. And that's a core belief that I grew up with. And I felt like if only I could make everybody else okay, then I could be okay too. That's not really how it works, is it? So it took a long time for me to convince myself that it was okay to leave my parents' house. I knew that it was not healthy for me to be there. And it took a therapist saying, your family is dysfunctional and you need to get out of there for me to really realize that, oh my God, it is dysfunctional. Oh my God, this is not how I'm supposed to be acting in a family. I'm not supposed to be taking on everything and not speaking my needs at all. I'm drinking every day. I'm waking up drunk still, and that's not normal. But it's not, it couldn't be my family's fault, right? That's ridiculous. Like, all I want is my family's happiness, and of course they want my happiness, but suddenly 
they were the reason that I was essentially killing myself. And the therapist gave me permission to leave. And I thought everything was going to be good after that. Uh, but I did continue to drink for about three years after leaving home. Um, it wasn't until this past summer that I really realized just how terrible at boundaries I am. Like non-existent, they don't exist at all for me. Um, it was, it's, I have a really, I'm, I'm okay with my family actually, like now that we've made that first boundary of me leaving, I'm pretty good at standing my ground and not giving too much to them. But it's really my friends that I have a huge problem with and this became glaringly obvious this summer when my friend had invited me down to her family cabin, another house, you know, uh, in Montana. And it's their family cabin. They go down there all the time. And I was invited, and I was so excited. But, you know, there was also that reservation of lake life, you know, summertime at the lake where they have all their family and friends down there. And me being sober was kind of terrified to walk in there and be out of my comfort zone, not sleeping in my own bed, not having my routines to stick to, not knowing if there was going to be good options for non-alcoholic beverages for me, or being able to kind of satiate myself with snacks at nighttime instead of, you know, beer after beer. So I was a little bit scared about that. Uh, and then there was a series of things that happened where I just could not say no, and it destroyed me. So first, my friend was going to drive us down, and I was excited about that. The road trip is part of the whole fun, right? So I was really excited to drive down there with her. I've never been to Montana before. I've never driven across a border before. So I was excited, but she texted me. She's actually in Banff from a, a houseboating trip she was on, and she was on her way back, and she said, hey, I'm in Banff. Is it okay if I just drive down to Montana from here? I have everything that I need. It's really easy to get there. Don't have to worry. It just doesn't make any sense for me to go all the way back to Edmonton and then drive all the way down to Montana from where I am. And at first I'm bummed because, yeah, I wanted the road trip, and I wanted to have some time to talk about all my fears about going to lake life. Um, so, but you know what? I'm adventurous. I love driving places solo. And sure, why not a new experience about cro crossing a border by myself? All right, so I do it. And the day before I'm supposed to leave, I work till 6. I have a hair appointment, I have to pack, and then I'm leaving at 8 a.m. She texts me and asks me, hey, it is much colder here than I anticipated. I don't have any pants. Can you please go to my apartment on your way out? My roommate will pack a bag. All you got to do is grab it and take it with you. I don't want to do this, but I feel like how can I let my friends uh, freeze to death when I'm going to show up there with the, all these awesome, really warm outfits and she's going to be freezing? I have to say yes. So I say yes. And then later she texts me and she says, oh, my roommate's not home. Uh, can my landlord let you in and you pack the bag for her, for me? I don't want to do this. But I've sort of already said yes. So I say yes again. And then she says, oh, my landlord can't meet tonight. Can he meet you at 9 a.m. on your way out in the morning? And then you pack the bag. I say, oh, my God. I wanted to leave at 9. I mean, sorry, at 8. You're putting me an hour behind schedule already. I've never crossed a border by myself like this. I don't want it to be in the dark. I want to find your family's cabin in a different country when it's still light out, please. 
but I don't say that. I say yes. And so I go there. I'm packing the bag. And you know what? She just she said she wanted a few things, but this list was like 20 items long. It was like laptop, laptop charger, headphones, 100 different outfits, different pairs of shoes. I was like, okay, girl, <laughs> all right. Um, and she's texting me to add more things to the list as I'm packing the bag. It's this huge duffel bag full of stuff. And I get it in the car, and I'm like, hey, I'm on my way. I'm going. She's like, oh, um, can you go to TNT and pick up this, like, uh, this garlic sauce that we can't buy here in the States? My dad's going to cook dinner for a whole bunch of people on Saturday. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, I'm not going to pick you up sauce. Like, that's ridiculous. I'm like, but I feel like I can't say no. But I'm like, at this point, I like pull off to the side of the road. I'm stopped there, and I'm like, holy shit. I'm almost gonna cry because I like I, I feel like I'm being taken advantage of at this point. But how could I tell my friend that? She's inviting me down to her family cabin. She's gonna feed and house me for a week, and all I have to do is show up. Except it doesn't feel like all I have to do is show up because there's all these caveats to it. So I called my stylist, who I had been ranting to the night before uh, about this, and uh, she's like, Denise, just say no. I'm like, I can't, I can't say no. She's like. Just say no. I'm like, I, I can't. I actually can't. And I, but this is what I did. I drove all the way to the south end. I went to the Petro-Canada to fill up my gas tank. I texted her. I said, oh, hey, sorry, girl. I didn't get your message. Uh, already on my way. Sorry, I can't do it. And I have to give her some other way. I can't, that can't be it. I have to be responsible now. So I say, oh, maybe you can buy it on Amazon. Um, <laughs> And so I go, and then about an hour into my drive, I get this text message, it comes across my little uh, Bluetooth, whatever, and it's like, hey, shipping's like 60 bucks, can't do it. Uh, here's the address to the TNT in Calgary. Uh, you can go there on your way. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I just said that I couldn't do it. I was already on my way. But apparently the sauce means more to you than me. All right, so um, how do I say no? And I call my stylist again. She's like, just say no. And I'm like, I can't say no. I'm going, how do I show up there empty-handed without this sauce to her family's cabin? How do I do it? And uh, I honestly, like, I wanted to take her stuff and, like, light it on fire and hail tail it back to Edmonton. I didn't even want to go anymore. <sighs> right? Um, so I go. And I'm stopping for lunch anyway, so I go to the darn TNT, and I pick up the sauce anyway. But I feel like garbage about it, you know? I feel like I really let myself down in this situation. And I feel like I don't even want to go. I even had this sense where I would be nice enough to drive all the way to Montana, drop off her stuff, sauce included, and say, you know what, I'm just going to go camping by myself for a week. <sighs> But this has really made me realize that, you know, none of this was her fault. I just kept saying yes. And if you say yes, people will just keep asking you to do things. I don't know. <laughs> and it was actually her who, who said something to me really recently. She said uh, that she heard this at a, at a yoga thing. Uh, one of the yoga teachers said, the only house you'll ever live in is your body. And that really stuck with me, this theme of houses and 
you know you're born in this house and you'll die in this house. It's the only house you'll never move out of. And it's the only house that matters. All that shit that happens to you in the house you grew up in or the hundred houses you grew up in or the house you live in now, this is the only house that matters. And no one else is going to tell you what you're worth, what you deserve. This person, in this instance, made me feel used, but really, I was the one who was neglecting myself and abandoning myself in these moments. And I have a lot of work to do on this, but I've just, I feel like knowing that this is the only company I need to keep and I get to choose what guests live here, including the different aspects of myself who say they don't like parts of myself, I can hopefully change their mind. Houses. The rooms in my mind, endless, hallways that lead to more darkness, more questions. Me, wandering endlessly in search of anything that will make you stay. I show you pristine bathrooms and cozy bedrooms, sunken dens to call home. You tell me that you hate my favorite room, but I keep towing you along. I show you every closet, every attic, every, every, everything, in desperate hope that you see that, like houses, I cannot depreciate, and all of me will be worthy in time. Thank you.